Be seated, please. You'll turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. We're talking about the obedient service of faith. Paul has already announced in chapter 1, verse 4, this is his ultimate goal for this Christian community that he's writing to in Rome. Now, you've got to understand that in Paul's day, to influence Rome was to change the world. And to influence Rome, we have found out, is the changing of history. And we see that Paul understands that as he's writing this epistle. He is not bringing anything too personal. He doesn't know this church. He's bringing those things which will help them and help all Christians at all times. Now, the first 11 chapters... Paul concerns himself with what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you come to faith and what does it mean to come to faith and become a Christian? But then at chapter 12 now, he is turning a corner from what it means to be a Christian to what does it mean to live as a Christian? How do we conduct ourselves as a Christian? What does a Christian look like? in the world and in the surrounding world of a a fallen Greco-Roman culture. So chapters 1 through 11, what it means to be a Christian. Chapter 12 to the end, how do we live as Christians? Now as he tells us this, he calls us initially in the verses that we're going to focus on that we have to commit ourselves as Christians. You know, almost nothing gets done without a vision. Almost nothing gets done without an intention. And we have to not merely have a vision to be a Christian, but we must intend to live as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ. After he gets us through the commitment, he tells us we need to think of ourselves appropriately. We can't be lofty, we cannot be proud, but we need to be self-assured of our role as individuals in this Christian life. Then he talks about our responsibilities is duty, what we are to do, and they're broad brush things, large pictures of opportunity for you and for me to find our proper place in service to Christ in his kingdom. And ultimately, that's what he means by this obedience of faith. It's not just an obedience that you don't do something or that you do something else. Paul's goal is much larger than that. His goal is that you would find your personal place in the service of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in that place you would flourish. He's going to talk course about our relationship to the civil government. After all, this is a letter to the church that is in Rome. He's going to talk about other aspects of what it means to live together with weaker brothers, people that don't understand as much as we do. If you're like me, when I was 22, I became a Christian and I began to understand all these doctrines. Well, 
it, I didn't realize it took me a couple of years to understand them. I wanted everybody else to understand them right now, and I was impatient. Paul says, no, Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is the one who's bringing us along. And so in this relationship, we're patient with one another as God moves through his spirit. Now let's look at these verses together, chapter 12. So Paul is saying here, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is in serving, let him serve. If it is in teaching, let him teach. If it is in encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we're talking about a obedient service of faith. We want to see, first of all, that everyone is called to serve. Secondly, in this calling, that it requires the absolute total commitment of our body and of our mind. 
And it's an ongoing commitment of the body, an ongoing commitment of the mind. And the last thing is, because of this, we recommit throughout our entire life to our service to Christ. I was 14, two rites of passages in that era. The first in Florida was a learner's permit. And then I could drive the car with somebody beside me. The second was the neighborhood paper route. I took it over at age 14. For a year and a half, I threw papers about five blocks either side of my house, three or four blocks in the other direction. And I had a great time. Fifteen and a half came. Well, Gene, Gene Campbell, the route manager, came to me. He says, would you like another paper route? I said, well, what is it? He says, it's the largest route in my district. I said, well, which one? He said, the South Palm Beach paper route. Wow, 15 and a half. Gone from two or three, four blocks either side of my house, when I got done every day from throwing papers, I'd gone 26 miles. I had the largest mansions in Palm Beach. I had the Bath and Tennis Club in Palm Beach. I had all these vast condominiums. It was amazing, not only one paper, but I threw the society paper at most addresses every day as well. It was an amazing advancement. Now, there's a little principle here, and the principle is spiritually always true. If you're faithful in small things, God is going to open up other areas of service to use you and to expand your life to make your life more glorious. And that's what we want to see in this passage of Scripture that we have before us, that God wants us to grow, and we will grow as we learn to serve Him. Now, the first thing that we want to see is that everyone is called to serve. And you see that in these first verses where Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy. Now, this word mercy. Now, everyone that's here, everyone that's here is either on one side of this mercy or on the other side of this mercy. You are either a person who has not come to put your faith in Christ and to understand all the glorious things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And if you're in that position, then, in all honesty, you are without God's mercy. But as a person comes to see what the Scriptures and what Paul has been saying here in these first 11 chapters, that God the Father has chosen us and chosen to send His Son into the world, and that Christ has come from heaven to be born of a virgin, that He has lived a perfect life in absolute uh, obedience to his heavenly Father, and that in that he shows himself to be the Messiah of God, and that he becomes the sacrifice, God's sacrifice for all of our sin, and that he has accomplished these things so perfectly that it is testified in the resurrection 
in God the Father exalting Jesus to his right hand. And at that right hand, he has sent forth his Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to change our hearts, and to give us the power that we need to live every day as becomes a follower of Christ. Now, you have either come to know, love, and appreciate that mercy, or you need to. And God is calling you. It's not that he's saying, I'm on this side over here, and that's it. No, he's telling you about his mercy, and he's calling you to his mercy. He wants you to receive that mercy. To the Jews who received it, well, let me just say this. He says that this is open to the brethren. And when he uses this word brethren, that's a totally loaded term. That means to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. He's been using this phrase from the beginning of Romans to the end of Romans. And what he's saying is, in saying this to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that this call to God's mercy is open to anyone and everyone who will receive it. So the initial thing that we have to come to understand in this call is the call upon our lives to receive Christ Jesus in all the mercies of God that are found in Christ Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, to merely, simply ask the Lord to come into your life and to take over the rule and the reign of that life. Now, in this, all are then called to move from chapters 1 through 11 to move to chapter 12 to serve God. You then who are here who have come to faith, that is God's call on your life. God calls you to serve him. And when he calls you, the second thing that we need to see then is that it is an absolute total commitment. Now you may have noticed if you're following, following in the Pew Bible where it said yourselves in verse 1, I put in the literal translation the word your body. So Paul is calling us to absolutely commit our bodies to Christ as well as absolutely committing in verse 2 our minds to Christ. When we see this idea of God's calling us to present our bodies, we need to understand the danger of a body that is not under God's control. And if you would turn, if you would like, or just make a reference in your mind to look later at the end of chapter, or the middle of chapter 3 of Romans, listen to a body that is not under God's control. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The, voice, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the description of the person that is outside of Christ. It is an indictment that shows us not how bad we actually are, but how bad many people are apart from Christ. And this is where a body 
is not under the control of Christ. Now he calls us to commit that body absolutely and totally to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul addresses Christians that are living in a worldly context. And he tells them in verse 18 concerning the body. He says, flee sexual immorality. I would just say to you, many of us know the immorality of the culture in which we live. As Christians, we need to understand that the call of God is upon our body to serve him and not to serve, if we can say it this way, base instincts or our own pleasure. And so in verse 18, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Now that's an interesting phrase, and there's nothing like it in the rest of Scripture, that when we sin sexually, we actually sin against our own body. Paul is calling us to present our bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to God's purposes. You see, as you continue in this passage, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Our bodies are the place where our commitment to service to Jesus Christ, this is the point in which the battle is either won or it is lost. The call here is for us then to commit that body absolutely to the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul goes on and he says that where these temptations are there or where these sins have been a part of our past, he tells us to mortify or put to death the deeds of this body, which are immorality, impurity, passion, and greed, which he calls idolatry. And the call upon us then is to see the serious nature of the war that is constantly going on in our hearts and minds over our body. What we see today is no different than what Paul saw in his day. If you were to go back to this era of Paul and go to the Roman and Grecian world, you would see that they were the first to have what they called gymnasiums. In the study of the gymnasium was the study of the body culture, the refinement of the body, and the use of the body, and all manner of personal pleasure. And this was a world that had run amok. Now, here again, Paul calls us. What are we going to do with our body? These are the things we should avoid. What did you say? Take my life, let it be, consecrated, Lord to thee. We have just read the two passages from which that hymn was taken. Romans 12, 1 through 3, 
and the passage in Romans 3 that talks about the misuse of the body. The hymn writer merely took the misuse and wrote the hymn in the sense of how to positively use our body. We win and lose in our service to Christ with what we do.